Happy summer. <laughs> Happy summer to you. Uh, it is going to be a warm week this week, which I always like the summertime. I like the warm weather. But I like it when it starts getting in the 90s in July instead of June. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, but a bunch of people I work with are in Texas. We were talking about Texas earlier. They've been over 100. So at least we're not over 100, that's for sure. Uh, 92 is much better than 102. Well, I do want to uh, just say thank you, thank you, thank you to our church family. The fence looks amazing outside, looks so good. Uh, thank you all last week for sticking around, helping out. I know a bunch of our uh, family is traveling this morning, so all of you traveling today, whether you're watching or listening, we want to say thank you to you as well. Uh, I know that uh, last week it, it was hot, but it wasn't too bad, uh, but you guys worked hard, so thank you so much. The fence looks great. The stain is going to protect the wood. The posts look great, so thank you all in here, and also thank you to everyone who's traveling, uh, and uh, and I hope you enjoy your vacation. I hope you enjoy your time, those that are away. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12 again today. We are finishing up our series today on Romans. So today's the last week of Romans. We'll start a new message series next Sunday uh, that we'll be in for a few weeks. And uh, I was originally planning on just starting the new series today, like last week was going to be the last week in Romans. But as I sat down and began to pray and began to write the message uh, for the new series, I just couldn't get the rest of Romans 12 out of my head. So I was like, We're, let's just finish. Let's just finish Romans 12. It's an incredible chapter, lots of good stuff in there. And uh, last week, we th the title of the message was Living Sacrifice. And today, the title is Living Sacrifice Continued, okay? Living Sacrifice Continued. So it's the, the rest of chapter 12. But Paul identifies a few things here in this chapter, and he kind of like moves through them really quickly. Just these really quick, succinct statements, but that are really powerful. And each one really continually paints this picture of what it means to be a living sacrifice, to use our lives as a living sacrifice, as our true act of worship to God. So we're just going to read, starting off in verse 14. We're going to go 14 through 18 here beginning. Paul writes, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Exclamation point. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Number one, if you're taking notes, first thing you can write down. What does it look like to, to be a living sacrifice? What does it look like to use our lives uh, to... Uh, as a living sacrifice and worship to God, our acceptable, holy, spiritual act of worship. Number one, continuing this theme, is we're to bless those who persecute us. Bless those who persecute you. Listen, when someone causes me harm, my natural reaction is not to do something nice for them. Right? 
Like when someone lies about you, when someone, you know, uh, creates unnecessary conflict, when someone, you know, actively tries to make your life worse, our natural response, your natural response is not to do something nice, is not to bless them, is not to encourage them, is not to buy them something, is not to feed them something. It's to what? Take revenge, right? To defend ourselves, retreat, or to take revenge, to fight or flight, right? That's our natural response. Now, we all have this fight-or-flight response deeply ingrained into our human nature. It's, it's, it's part of what makes us human. It's our natural response. And typically when we think of fight-or-flight, we think of maybe encountering a snake on a road or encountering an animal. We're like, oh, i got to kill it or i got to run away. But there is also the same type of response when we experience the emotional fear, the emotional pain, as we do whenever we encounter something that makes us afraid in the physical world. But Paul says we're to take our natural instincts to either fight or flight and turn them over and said, no, someone's persecuting you. Someone's causing you harm. If someone is actively trying to make your life worse, bless them. Follow the example of Jesus and bless them. Pray that God will bless them. Uh, I was reminded as I was going over this this week, I was reminded of a story, uh, a true story of a missionary named Jim Elliott. And you maybe have heard this story before. But Jim Elliott was a missionary, and he felt very called to reach some unreached people groups that lived out in the jungle, some tribes that had never heard the gospel, uh, that no one really knew about them. We didn't know, they didn't know their language, and so he went and studied and figured out how to learn new languages and how to write scripture in new languages. And him and a, and a team of people, they went and they identified uh, this tribal group living in the jungle that they were going to try and, you know, preach the gospel to. And they were starting this journey very slowly, and they moved kind of closer into the camp uh, over a few, you know, weeks and days and weeks period. And they were kind of creeping in closer, trying to build relationships. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, about 10 warriors from the tribe came and killed Jim Elliott and all the people that were with him. Uh, Killed their entire group. uh, Killed the pilot that flew them in. Killed all the people uh, that were with Jim uh, trying to witness to them. And then, as the story continues, Jim's wife, Elizabeth, had the same calling for these people. And when she found out that her husband had been killed by these people, her heart broke and, and she grieved. But also, she remembered this scripture. She remembered this characteristic of believers, that we're to bless those who persecute us. So she committed her life to seeing these same, this same tribe that had murdered her husband to see them come to know Jesus. So she went back, and she preached the gospel to them. Many of them got saved. She spent years of her life witnessing to these people. She blessed those who persecuted her. Now, if Elizabeth Elliot can go back and share the good news and love on and bless the people who killed her husband, I think we can be nice to people who call us names. We can be nice to people who are not nice to us in the workplace, in the neighborhood, right, in our communities. Paul says, to live like Jesus is to say, my life is not my own. And so even when people harm me, my focus is not going to be on the harm they've caused me. My focus is going to be on what would Jesus do? What would he do to this person? He would, he would bless them. He would do whatever he could to show them kindness. See, we can be kind to those who persecute us because we know that this life is not really what we're living for. 
what we're living for is a life after this one. Uh, in verse 20 of chapter 12, Paul writes this. He says, instead, talked about don't take revenge, but instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If your enemies are thirsty, give them something to drink. Listen to this. I love this. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. He's saying, if someone persecutes you, someone is your enemy and they're actively causing you harm, feed them if they're hungry, give them something to drink if they're thirsty. And by showing them that kind of kindness, by blessing those who persecute us, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. See, what's going to happen is someone who has persecuted you and they experience love and kindness in return, they're either going to feel the shame of what they did to you, and then they're going to respond in kind to you. They're, you were kind to them. They're going to respond in kind. They're going to accept your love, and they're going to change their tune. They're going to start acting nice, or they're not. They're going to reject it and move even further away, but there's going to be shame on their heads. But either way, no, how, no matter how they respond, in the eyes of the Lord, we are going to be uh, we're going to be, you know, blessed. We're going to be right because we've treated them with kindness. So I, I love that Paul says, listen, your natural instinct is one thing, but God says to do something else. And guess what? When we're talking about being a living sacrifice, what is a sacrifice? It's a giving up something. A living sacrifice is saying, here's uh, my natural tendency is to, to get more for me instead of give more. But he says to be a living sacrifice means those that are actively hurting you to bless them and to show them kindness instead. Verse 15. We read it a moment ago. I want to circle back to verse 15. Paul says, Be happy with those who are happy, and weep with those who weep. Be happy with those who are happy, and weep with those who weep. To be a living sacrifice. To live our lives as a, you know, uh, as an act of worship to God is to have others on our mind. So the second thing, if you're taking notes and write it down, how do we be a living sacrifice? We empathize with others. We empathize with others. Now that word empathy, I looked it up in the dictionary so that I could define it in case, you know, uh, you don't know what it means. That's okay. Uh, Empathy means the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. The ability to understand and share the feelings of another. There are people that are naturally gifted at doing this. There are people that have the gift of empathy. My wife is one of those. Brooke, she is so good at this. As soon as someone is feeling something else, she just instantly feels what they feel. She can empathize with them. She understands their feeling. She shares their feeling. I am terrible at this. I have to work really, really hard. I've had to work really hard over the years at this. You know, I, I've always said, like, I would be a terrible therapist. Like, I'd be a terrible counselor. Someone would come in my office, and they would say, hell, here's what's going on. I'd say, hey, get over it. Like, get your act together. Okay, get over it. Great. You know, build a bridge. Get over the bridge. Let's go. Like, let's move on. I'd be terrible at this, right? My wife is naturally gifted at this, but Paul says to, to, to live our lives in, in uh, you know, sacrificial service to, to, to God, to be a living sacrifice for Jesus, is that to understand and share the feelings of others, is to empathize with them. If they are weeping, to weep with them. If they are celebrating, to celebrate with them. Now, we're talking about being a living sacrifice, right? What does that mean? Giving up something for something else. One of the most selfless things you can do in life is share someone's joy when you are in pain. 
one of the most unselfish things you could do is to share someone's pain and grief when you are full of joy. But Paul says we're to be there for one another. We're to empathize with others. We're to understand what they're going through and to share their feelings with them. Understand that they're, that they're excited, that they're joyful, that they're celebrating, and to celebrate with them. Understand when they are full of grief and to grieve with them. A number of years ago, when I was uh, early on in my pastoral journey, uh, I had just become like uh, the, the, the first church that I was the senior pastor of. I was the lead pastor of that church. And at that point, uh, up until that point, I'd been a youth pastor with middle school and high school students. And then I had been uh, like an associate executive pastor. So I did adult ministry, but I wasn't like the pastoral care pastor. Uh, you know, I was at a larger church. And so there was a pastoral care pastor that handled all of the empathetic parts of, of pastoral work. So we had moved to Oregon. And uh, I was the lead pastor of the church, and it was a, you know, much smaller church. We didn't have a pastoral care pastor. Um, and I remember it was a Friday morning, and I got a call from a man in our church and uh, called me up, and instantly, as soon as I answered, I said, hello. I could tell that something has, had gone on, something bad had taken place. And he, he was crying, and so I was just kind of listening. I said, hey, what's going on? And then he begins to tell me that his mother uh, was at home. She wasn't breathing. He had called the ambulance. They had came and got her, so he's on the way to the hospital, and he's pretty sure she had that she had passed. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll be right there. And uh, he said, thank you, thank you, Pastor. You know, so he drives to the hospital. I remember getting in the, telling Brooke and, and what I was going to do, and I remember getting in the car, and I instantly called uh, a senior pastor friend who was much older, who'd been a pastor for many, many years, and I called him, and thankfully he answered and I said, what do I do? Like, I'm about to go here. He, he, I'm pretty sure his mom has passed away suddenly. Uh, and she wasn't that old. I mean, uh, she wasn't young, but she's not elderly at all. And so it was all of a sudden and everything. And, and I was like, well, what do I say? And, and what do I do? I'm not exactly sure how to handle this. It's like, I know that I needed help because I'm not the most empathetic person, but I want to show compassion and, and empathy. I want to be there uh, with him. And I want to say the right things and do the right things. And, and I said, what do I do? And I'll never forget what this pastor said. He said, Nathan, the most important thing is that you're there. He said, just be there with him. You don't have to say much. It's like, and the Holy Spirit will help you know what to say, when to say it. But the main thing is, don't feel like you have to say anything. Just, just be there. And I remember getting to the hospital and walking up and, and you know, giving him a hug and saying, I'm sorry, you know, and asking a few questions. And then, for hours, friends, family came by, and I was just there. I didn't say much. I didn't know what to say a lot of the time. I was just there. And I learned a valuable lesson about empathy that day. Sometimes empathizing with others, sharing and understanding their feelings, is just being there with them. It's just being there. I sat with them, did whatever I could to comfort them, and I learned that day that empathy takes work, Empathy takes sacrifice, but most importantly, empathy just takes being there sometimes. If someone is celebrating and they are, uh, they got a new promotion, you know, they have a, a new child, they got uh, whatever, they bought a new house, like there's all the reasons we have to celebrate in life. When they're celebrating, the, one of the best things I can do is to celebrate with them, even if my life's not going great at the moment. 
even if I'm stressed or I'm worried or this happened or that happened, the fact that they're celebrating, there's no reason for me to burden them with my problems. At that moment, it's to celebrate with them. There's a time later, you know, for others to share in my pain and to share in my celebrations. He says to li- be a living sacrifice, to, to function in the family of God at times is to empathize with other people, is to have other people on our minds and to say, you know what, what are they going through and how can I uh, celebrate or how can I weep with them? Sometimes our tendency is to run away from others when they need us most. Because they're happy and they're celebrating and we're in a difficult time, so we run away. Or we're happy and things are going great and they're going through a difficult time and they're sad. It's like, ugh, I just want to stay in this good place right now. Our natural tendency sometimes is to run away from them when they need us most. Now, when we think about someone going through grief, when we think about someone going through loss, when we think about someone going through pain, we can think, oh yeah, they, they need us around them because, you know, they're going through a difficult time. But how many of you know, too, when things are good, when, when we've received uh, something to celebrate about, we also need people there to rejoice with us. Sometimes we think, well, they, their life is great for them. They don't really need me right now. No, we need each other to celebrate. It's why, you know, we uh, originally, back in the day, when Facebook was just coming out, now it's used for all kinds of stuff. Back in the day, that's what Facebook was for. Like, that's why we took pictures and shared it so our family could celebrate with us. You know, like I said, back in the day. Now it's like taking on a whole new meaning. But that's what we used it for, like when it first started out. You know, Instagram and Facebook, like the only people that were really our friends were just like our close friends and family at the time. You know, why did we share pictures? So that everyone could celebrate with us. Why did we share pictures when things were difficult? So people could weep with us. What we're doing is empathizing with one another, which is what Scripture tells us to do. But it takes laying aside our uh, parts of ourselves. It takes sacrificing parts of us to truly empathize with others. Number three. Well, let's read verse 16. We're going to circle back. Verse 16, Romans 12. He says this. Live in harmony with each other. Right? So we empathize with one another. We rejoice with each other when we're rejoicing. We weep with those who weep. And then he says, live in harmony. Get along with one another. Even if you don't agree with one another, that's okay, but live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Exclamation point. And don't think you know it all. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel like the older I get, the more I know. Like I'm older. I'm getting, I'm getting older, so I'm, I, I know more, you know. But also, as I get older, I'm keenly aware of how much I still don't know. Now, there were times in, in younger years where I thought I knew a lot more than I did. And even though I've gained knowledge and I've learned a lot more, there's a lot more things I, I don't know. But in the life of faith in Scripture, in our jobs, in our families, and in our lives, we can easily begin to fall into this place of we know what we're doing, we know how to do it. We know what we're doing, and so we don't need any help. Paul says, don't think you know it all. Don't think you know it all. Now, uh, we've tried to instill into our kids, you know, this idea of, like, don't be a know-it-all. You know, we, we know what that means. Like, don't be a know-it-all. Don't have the answer to everything. You know, don't be a know-it-all. Let other people help you. But also, it's important to not just act like, a, you know, to not just not act like a know-it-all. I don't really say that. But it's important 
to realize that you just don't know it all. You don't know everything. I remember my second day of Bible college. I was going to Bible college, you know, gonna, uh, my goal is to be a pastor and learning theology and all this stuff. I remember my second day of Bible college, I had this professor. I'll never forget the opening lecture of, it was my Acts of the Apostles class. Uh, we were learning all about the book of Acts and walking through that. It was a wonderful class. Second day of college, first day of this class, first lecture of this class, professor in his late 60s stands up and begins to tell us what we should expect from Bible college over the next few years. And he begins to tell us that over the next few years, as you're in Bible college, as you're studying scripture, as you're gaining knowledge, you're going to uh, grow your knowledge increasingly over and over and over again, and there's going to be this tendency to think that you know best. And then he began to tell us that even in his late 60s, been a, you know, theology professor for decades, been a pastor 10 times over, you know, in multiple churches, planted churches, doing all this stuff. He began to tell us that every single morning he listens to the radio and there's two different people he listens to the radio. Neither one are in the same like vein of theological thinking, the same denominational thinking as him, because he knows he still has things to learn and you can learn from anyone. And he says, you know, I don't agree with him on everything, but here's the thing. You can learn from anyone. And I can learn from these people. And I remember him, I'll never forget that lecture because he was teaching me, he was teaching us there, the principle that Paul is trying to communicate here, which is number three if you're taking notes. Be a lifelong learner. So don't think that you know it all. Be a lifelong learner. In every stage of your life, realize that you can learn something from God and you can learn something from other people. For many years, uh, I was, you know, youth pastor and then, you know, started adult ministry. And I would always marvel at some of the people who were 20 and 30 years older than me that would come and they would tell me that they learned something from me teaching, you know, and I would be like, man, that's crazy. When I get to be, and I remember having this thought, I was about 24, and I remember having this arrogant, stupid thought. I was like, well, when I'm 63 years old, like this, I was like, well, I, I feel like I should know this already. Like, man, how arrogant is that? And now I've grown up, you know, and now I'm, you know, uh, 15, 16 years later, I was like, man, I don't even, I don't even know the lessons that I taught other people in a way. Like there's a, there's a depth of, of things that as, as you grow older. But what these uh, older, uh, you know, men and women were teaching me is that we can learn from anyone. We can learn from people younger than us, older than us. We can learn from people who agree with us and people who disagree with us. But Paul says, just realize that you don't know it all, and God will use other people to teach you the lessons you need to know in the season of life that you're in. Be a lifelong learner. Approach life with an inquisitive and humble heart and mind. We're to learn from other people, but also we're to be a lifelong learner, and we are to learn other people. What I mean is this. We have a tendency, uh, human beings have a tendency as we grow older for our circle of friends, for our circle of, of people that we consider close to us to get smaller and smaller and smaller over the years to get smaller and smaller as people, you know, uh, either pass or people move away or people, you know, hurt us and then they, the friendship is broken, our, our circles can get smaller and smaller and smaller. 
when really in the family of God, when we read scripture, our circles should continuously grow over time. The older we get, the larger our circles of friends, the larger our circles of family members should be. See, being a lifelong learner is about, yeah, learning knowledge, about learning wisdom, but it's also about learning other people. It's about living in harmony with each other. It's about growing our friendship circles, learning people's history, learning their personalities, learning them in a new and deep way. You know, it's easy to go to work and to just work with people and to work with someone for two and three years but not really know anything about them. It's easy to to live next to someone for two and three and eight and ten years and not really know anything about them. To live our lives like Jesus, to model our lives after him, is to be increasing our friendship circles, is to be learning from other people, but also just learning other people's story. Learning other people's story. How do we reach people with the good news of Jesus? How do we reach people with the gospel? How do we, uh, you know, show people the love of Christ? We have to get to know them. Be a lifelong learner. As a part of this, we read a moment ago, he says, you know, do all that you can, or uh, uh, yeah, do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. That's not what we're reading. Where are we at? Verse 16, here we go. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Basically, all right, he's saying, don't think of yourselves as better than anyone else. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of people that disagree with you, people that have a different socioeconomic level that you do. Right? He says, don't be too proud to spend time with other people and don't think you know it all. Learn things from everyone. Be a lifelong learner. Verse 17. Continue on. He says, never pay back evil with more evil. Listen to this. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Number four, if you are taking notes, you can fill this in. We are to act honorably at all times. We are to act honorably at all times. Whenever we're approached with a difficult circumstance, when we're approached with conflict, whenever we're approached with uh, pain, we need to learn to ask ourselves, what's the honorable thing to do? When we're approached with a circumstance where it would be easy to be dishonest, you know, whenever we get to the car and realize that we accidentally stole a bottle of water or that Coke or that Gatorade from the store, even though we paid $187 for groceries, we realize we accidentally stole something in that moment, we ask ourselves, what's the honorable thing to do? I can't tell you how many times we've gotten to the car only to realize one of the kids uh, we had a Hot Wheels car or something, and then we realized we did not pay for it. And we're already in a rush because there's six of us in our family, and we are always in a rush to something. And we're in a rush to think, oh, yep, what's the honorable thing to do? Go back in and pay for it. And I would love to sit here and tell you that every single time I've done that, but that wouldn't be true. There's been times where I'm like, it was $1.50. Like, let's just go. I'll pay them later, you know. Or like, they got enough profit margin, they can deal with it. Like, that's terrible. But there have been times, I remember a few months back, we got to the car, realized, I think it was like, I think it was a Hot Wheels car or something. I remember it was like $1.25 or something that we had, we realized we had forgot to buy it. 
And I was like, oh, we've got to go in, you know, because now the kids, they definitely know that we accidentally got this. And this is like, I'm going to go back in. We're going to take care of it. And I went back in, and I was like, I'm so sorry. We forgot to pay for it. And I'll never forget the look on the lady's face at the checkout counter. She was like, wow. Like, for this is, you know, $1.25. Like, that's a, that's a big deal for you to come back in. Thank you so much. And I thought, how terrible is it that this is a big deal? Like, you know, how terrible is it that most people just would think, well, why would you do that? But I had this moment, you know, of like, oh, yeah, I had our kids with us, and they knew, obviously, and we wanted to set a good example. And, like, it was $1.50. We accidentally took it. We, didn't, we need to pay for it because, um, blah, 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 we shouldn't take it without it. And she was like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. What's the honorable thing to do? Last week, we talked about taking delight in honoring one another. Now, I, I like this word, honor. I don't think we use this word enough. What does it mean to honor someone else? What is the honorable thing to do? I don't think we use it often enough. Maybe we should. Paul here, he says, do things in such a way that everyone, that everyone can see you are honorable. So that those that disagree with you can see you're honorable. That those you work with can see you're honorable. That those you live with can see you are honorable. That those that are your enemies can see that you are honorable. We're to act honorably at all times. Sometimes that takes us sacrificing a little bit. What's the honorable thing to do? Number five. Verse 21, he says, Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Number five, conquer evil by doing good. Conquer evil by doing good. We read this a moment ago. You know, he says, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If, he's, if your enemy is thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. What he's saying is you're conquering evil by doing good. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. This is what Jesus did. When Jesus, a couple thousand years ago, came to earth, his singular purpose was to conquer evil for eternity by doing good. Jesus came to earth and he lived a perfect and sinless life. Yet, there were many people who hated him, who were his enemies, who betrayed him, who beat him, who nailed him to a cross. And then he gave his life and he died. He sacrificed himself for us. He conquered sin and death and evil by doing something good, by giving himself for us. What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? It means to follow the example of Jesus. When there's evil going on around us, how do we conquer it? How do we combat evil? By doing good. We combat evil by doing good things, by acting honorably at all times, by blessing those who persecute us, by loving those who don't love us back. How do we conquer evil? By being good to others. As we look around, you know, this past two and a half years with pandemics going on and, and uh, un civil unrest and political unrest and all kinds of stuff going on, it's so easy to try and combat evil by yelling and screaming and, and all this stuff. When he, that's not what Scripture says. 
How do we combat evil? By doing something good. How do you truly overcome evil? By doing something good. What is something good you can do, we can do, to overcome the evil that we see? Sometimes we want to solve, you know, these big, massive problems, but getting on social media and posting something is not solving any big problems. We're trying to solve maybe large problems that we, we can't solve, but what we can do is the neighbor across the street, the coworker that's experiencing uh, grief, we can go weep with them and we can do something good. We can go rejoice with them and we can do something good. We can share the love of Christ. We can be Jesus to those in our spheres of influence. The people around us who we can truly influence, we can be an agent of good. We can conquer evil by doing good. What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? It means to bless those who are actively persecuting us, trying to hurt us. It means to empathize with others. To selflessly lay aside our stuff, lay aside uh, our burdens, and be there for someone else. It means to be a lifelong learner. It means to realize that we don't know it all, and that's okay. We don't know it all, and it's a good thing that we don't know it all, because by admitting it means we get to learn more. Lifelong learner, learning other people, learning their stories, acting honorably at all times, and conquer evil by doing good, just like Jesus did. Would you close your eyes this morning as we pray? Heavenly Father, first off, we just take a moment and we say thank you. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for us. Jesus, this morning, we say thank you. We say thank you for sacrificing your life so that we didn't need to take any punishment for our own sin or our own mistakes. But instead, we get the freedom of forgiveness. We get the freedom that grace offers because you conquered evil by doing good. I pray that each one of us would this morning recognize the areas in our life that stop us from living the way you desire for us to live. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come in and that you would show us the areas of us that you want to heal, that you want to redeem, so that we can truly bless those who persecute us, so that we can truly empathize and be there for one another, so that we can conquer evil by doing good. Jesus, I pray in this moment for any of us who are carrying past hurt and past pain that stops us from really being there for others. I pray that you would heal that this morning. I pray that you would heal us this morning. We thank you that you gave us a model for living. And I pray that each of us would just grow a little closer to you and we'd learn to live a little bit more like you did. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Would you stand with me this morning? Before we go, we're going to read our theme verse for 2022. 
And uh, once again, all of you traveling this morning and our family, I love you so much. Um, and uh, you can't see the verse, but maybe you have it memorized, hopefully, because it's pretty short. And we've been saying it every week. So, But here we go, Matthew 28, 20, 1, 2, 3, go. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 20. All right, I love you so much. Let's make a difference this week. Can we do that? Yes, okay. Thank you.